0: So we are uh, in the middle of a series called Create It to Create where we're thinking about the fact that we are called to create something of the world, that God gives us the blessing of the life that we have. We don't know how many days we have. We don't know how long uh, we're going to live, but as we are living, we're called to create something of the world. We're supposed to use our time, our talents, our gifts to create something. And whether you're aware of it or not, you are creating something with your life. You're creating things within your family. You're creating uh, things at work. You're creating a different way of living. And we are called to create and be a blessing in the world. And the one line that I hope everybody gets um, by the end of this series is we are created to create, not what? Consume. There we go. At least one person has it. So that's good. So we've got a few more weeks to get up there. But the goal of our lives is to not be consuming. And one of the great blessings of technology is it allows us really easy ways to consume. And so we need to actually make a conscious effort to choose to be part of God's ongoing creation in the world. There was a, a lady named Susan Greenfield who is a neurologist and she spoke at a conference in Australia several years ago. And she said one of the things that needs to happen and we need to, to make room for in our lives is asking the question, Why? Because sometimes we need to step back and be like, why am I doing this? You know, what is the point? Why am I continuing in this pattern of behavior? And she said the people who actually are creative, people who look at life in different ways, what they simply do is just often deconstruct the world. They see things how they are and say, well, does it really have to be this way? And sometimes it's really simple things that they're able to change. And it's artists who look at things completely differently and art movements that start because people are like, well, we don't have to paint like this, right? Right? And we don't have to do things, whatever it is, like in this way, there's no reason to. She said a creative person, someone who is looking at the world with these kind of lenses, will look at a car and say, you know, does the engine have to be in the front? Or does things have to be the way that they are? Think of a great comedian. A great comedian basically stands in front of you and makes fun of you in a nice way. And basically says, you know, we all are dumb for doing things the way that we're doing them, right? And like we're all laughing like, ha, 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 yeah, we're all dumb. That's basically how, how it is if you go uh, to, to a comedy show. People point out the way that just things are and say, why is it that we do that that way? You know, we all have, know the story probably of um, the son who, who goes in um, as Thanksgiving dinner is being prepared and asks his mom as she's preparing the ham, why is it that you cut off both ends of the ham? And she says, I, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I guess it's because my mom always did it. And so then she goes to her mom, and her mom says, well, that's a good question. I, I don't know, it's just because my mom always did it. And they go in and find this lady who is very elderly, at this point, the matriarch of the family. And she says, the reason I cut off both ends of the ham is because I didn't have a pan that was big enough to fit the ham. And so I just always cut off both ends. And this is a humorous example, but this happens to all of us if we aren't careful and don't ask the question of the world, why is it that I do this this way? There's a couple tribes in South Sudan, the Dinka and Noir tribes, and their coming-of-age ceremony involves uh, removing permanent teeth with a fish hook. Don't look it up. Uh, It's dangerous. I would not advise that. But historians believe that this originated around an epidemic of lockjaw in that region about 50 years earlier. But now it's become this thing. It's like if you, if you are able to become a man or a woman, like it's a toughness thing. You're supposed to be able to do this as you become an adult. And people have come in and tried to convince them. Otherwise, and say this is really not a good idea. It's not healthy and it's extremely painful. Why on earth are you doing this thing? But they refuse to listen. They're just like willing to keep doing it. And in fact, they have like these ideas about what it looks like. Here's some quotes from people in this tribe. They said this, we like the hissing sound it creates when we speak, This ritual is a sign of maturity. The toothless look is beautiful. People who have all their teeth are ugly. They look like cannibals who would eat a person. A full set of teeth makes a man look like a donkey, which I want to defend myself a little bit, like, whoa, hey, I don't look like a cannibal, right? So they have this this thing that they have been doing for all these years. Nobody really understands why, and it's really painful. And not only do they do it, but they defend it and say, this is just the way it is. And it's easy for us to look at that in other people and say, you all are dumb. You know, like, that's a really, really bad idea. But we have to ask ourselves sometimes, why is it that I do the things that I do? There's some ways that I could create something different. And we know the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results, right? We have to have a different mindset hope for change, hope that things might be different. In Romans, Paul writes this, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul, oftentimes as he writes, is going to tell us that the battle is in your mind, that you need to have a renewed mind, a renewed spirit. When we allow what God has called us to to be what moves us forward. When we ask ourselves the question, what needs to be renewed in my heart? What needs to be renewed in the way that I see the world? What needs to be renewed in the patterns that I have in my life? And Paul says we need to have some clarity. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that I'm going for? And if we have this perspective, Paul says we can somewhat figure out what God's will is for our lives. One of the things that I think is a battle on this more than ever. And we've talked about this several times in the series, is the uh, technology that we have available to us because we don't think too deeply about what's going on. And technology has been a part of my life really since about middle school. I had a computer and I found Carmen in San Diego many times as a youth. And so I understand that it's, it's fun to engage in that world. But one of the things that technology is really dangerous for us is that it just makes things easy everywhere, right? I mean, you can just buy things with one click. You can just, it's just so easy. And in fact, we know deep down that the best things in life are actually hard, that they're going to take some work and it's going to take some discipline. But technology makes things so much easier that I think sometimes we're just like, ah, I don't really question anything. Just going to keep going on this path. I'm not really thinking about, you know, this didn't work last week, but I'm going to just keep trying it because I haven't thought, what is actually working in my life? What is producing fruit? And do you have an answer to that question? Honestly, what is producing fruit in your life? Is there something that you say, you know, well, there's this book I'm reading or there's this practice that I have, these rituals, times of prayer. What is it that's producing fruit in your life? And do you want to be less anxious Do you want to have a life that God would desire for you today? Sometimes we just ask the the simple question, what is producing fruit? And get away from the easy everywhere approach. The book that Lars has been going through with our uh, youth parents, I would recommend to everybody. It's called The TechWise Family, but I would just say it's for tech-wise individual, basically. You don't need to have a family or be part of a family. You could be a single person read this. I would highly, highly recommend it because Andy Crouch, who's the author, is a fantastic writer, and he just talks about his own battle with technology and what has happened in his family and what um, he's doing to take some proactive steps to think about what it looks like to live in 2017, because it's a challenge. It's a lot for us um, to think through. So one of the things that he writes about over and over again is as we think about technology and connectivity, we need some times where we take some Sabbath rest from those things. So he writes this about his family's approach. He said, we're designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So an hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. And I know that when you read that, you think, that sounds crazy. That's like Amish, right? And but... (laughs) One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. And I know that sounds like a struggle, and you think, maybe personally I could do this, but there's no way my kids could. But in the book, he writes about the challenges that they've had with it and how sometimes there's been success, sometimes there's been failure. But he has his kids write some reflections, and they say one of their favorite things about growing up in, this ho- in their household was this. And that seems shocking because you'd think that every time you'd have to turn your phone off, a kid would just not be too happy with you. But the, his daughter says that this has actually become such an important part of her life. Because really, this is how we're intended to live. So we talked about last week, as the Israelites come out of slavery, they have this Sabbath rest, which isn't supposed to be held over their head as this like, terrible thing. It's actually supposed to be a blessing for them. To realize that they aren't what they produce. That they will have a day where they rest in the grace and love of God. That they don't just keep producing and producing and producing and producing. They have some time where they unplug. Where they recognize that this moment is a gift from God. And we need some time when we do that. Because the opposite is is pretty dangerous. The word that scripture uses to describe it is toil. A toil is excessive, fruitless labor. So just continuing and continuing and continuing, just never feeling like you get anywhere. The kind of, of life that just leaves you exhausted, but with nothing to show for it. Like you're just on this rat race and you never seem to get away from it. Solomon writes about this concept in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, um, you would expect that Solomon would write really exciting stuff because he really is like a Hugh Hefner type character. It's a little, little rough way to say it. But he's somebody who has lived the kind of crazy life that you might expect. He has hundreds of women in his life. He has an unbelievable amount of money. You'd think that his like tell-all book would be so interesting. You're just waiting for it to hit the shelf. But he goes through everything that he tried and basically said it was meaningless. Somebody who you'd think had, like, lived it all and was so exciting. It's meaningless. You know, I tried to do it through relationships. I I tried to do it through uh, work. I tried to do it through all of these things. And it was meaningless. And one of the things that he talks about is toil, working just this endless amount of work. So... He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Basically, even if you work really hard and create a, a great business, then your dumb son has to take it over. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil. So I poured my heart into this, and they are going to control how it goes how it is going forward, um, into which I've poured all my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun. for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and when they must leave it all, uh, they own all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too. Is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get from the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And if there's a couple verses that don't describe us better in Scripture, I don't know if there's just right there. For all the anxious striving, even at night, their minds don't rest. Toil isn't new. The toil has been a part of the world forever. And there are some parts of life that, unfortunately, is just not avoidable. And maybe you have a terrible boss, and the job that you have is, you know, it's 60 hours a week, and it's, it's miserable. You don't like what you're doing. Maybe you don't feel like you can contribute much to society, where you happen to be, and I get that. And even in a job that you love, like Kathy described, there are so many challenges and hard things that come with that job, trying to connect with all people that you're working with and doing the things that you're doing as a teacher, and you just want to come home at the end of the day and relax. And I get that, and that's fair. But I think the thing that we have more control over than we might realize, even if you do just despise your job and you can't stand going to it, is the time where we do get a bit of rest. And there's some parts of the world where you have to work seven days a week to, to get by, and fortunately many of us are blessed to not be in that situation. But when we disconnect, when we spend time at home, when Kathy's at the end of a long day of teaching or whatever it is that you're done with and you're very thankful, and it was a mixture of fulfilling and discouraging at the same time, I hope you realize that it's that time when when you're home or when you have a Saturday or a Sunday that you have the opportunity to create more toil for yourself or not. And one of the ways that I think technology is a curse is it just keeps us connected and having conversations and being part of things that we don't really have a business to be part of. And we can keep this connection even though we've left work, work never really leaves us. And we have to be proactive in how we think about this. Otherwise, th- things just keep going at a faster and faster pace. Uh, in the book that I mentioned last week uh, called The Shallows, which again, I would highly recommend talking about what the internet is doing to our brains. Um, you should definitely check that out because it's very interesting. Uh, in that book, they tell us, the author tells a story about how there's a famous research center in Palo Alto in the 1970s this is not that long ago, it was the mid, mid-70s, there was a meeting that was held with prominent uh, computer scientists. And uh, so they are all talking about some of the newest inventions. And one of the guys gets up and he starts a presentation about this new technology. And it's an unbelievable new thing. He's so excited about it. You can now have two windows on your computer at once. Like, how cool is that? I mean, what an advance. This is so amazing. And so he's, he's detailing this process. And so to illustrate the flexibility of it, he has a window open. He's doing some software coding. And as he's doing that, he gets a, an email. And so he goes over to his email on the same computer screen and replies to that email and then gets back to his coding. And everyone's like, oh, wow, wow amazing. What great technology. And this is how the people responded. He quickly read and replied to the message, then hopped back to the programming window and continued coding. Some in the audience applauded the new system. They said it would enable people to use their computers much more efficiently. Others recoiled from it. Why in the world would you want to be interrupted and distracted by email while programming, one of the attending scientists angrily demanded. I love that guy. That guy is like the old curmudgeon, basically. Get off my lawn, you know. And I think that's actually a pretty good question, you know. Why would you want to be distracted while you're doing something? And now we're like the other way. Like we have so many distractions while we try to do something And we can have unlimited windows open. Here's a picture of, uh, as I was putting my PowerPoint together, I had PowerPoint open, my sermon open, my email was open down there. So I know it's just hard for us uh, to to live in this kind of way because we have the ability to be connected in this. And even as you're trying to work, maybe on a computer, you have a, a phone that connects you to so many other things and you can just be all of these places and not really here. You can be having conversations with people all over world and I think at first it's alluring it's nice to feel that sense of connection and they have ways to just keep you focused in that way but one of the great blessings of technology that Andy Crouch says that we really need to work on as a society that actually is is really amazing is they all have an off switch which we should probably use more often He says it this way, there's a silver lining in the way technology has clouded our lives with nonstop toil and leisure. It gives us an amazingly simple way to bring everything to a beautiful halt. We can turn our devices off. Is there any time regularly in your week where you disconnect? When you unplug? When you turn something off? What is it that needs to be turned off for you? It's probably the thing you're thinking, oh, I really couldn't live without that one. And if you need some help on that, ask a friend who's close to you. They could probably point you in the right direction. What would it look like for you to put in some time in your week? And his rhythm that they do sounds crazy, you know, an hour a day and one day a week, one week a year, I don't know, maybe that's too much of a bite to to go for right now. But could you try to start somewhere? Maybe just during the week, it's too much for you to be disconnected. Your job is, is just too much and you can't really find that time. Maybe it's on Saturday. That you just say, you know, an hour on Saturday or, you know, the first part of the morning, three or four hours, I'm just, I'm not going to get connected. I'm going to go outside and look at a tree. I'm going to spend some time with my family. I know this is going to be hard because we're not used to this. It's hard to disconnect and to walk away. And it really is countercultural to live like this. But I would rather that you fail trying than not try at all. That you would think of something that might be a place to start. You know, I'm going to start with a, a little bit more of margin on here. I'm going to turn this thing off. Because our souls need it. We aren't meant to just continue in this pattern of toiling. We aren't meant to just have these conversations with people all over the world at all times. Again, it's called toil. Crouch goes on to say this, the most powerful choices we will make in our lives are not about specific decisions, but about patterns of life. I think that's so true. If we want a better life for ourselves or for our families, we will have to choose it. And the best way to choose it is to nudge and discipline ourselves toward the life we most deeply want. We'll arrange the places we live and the patterns of our lives, of our daily lives, to make the best choice easier. The, hab- the habits and patterns that you have in your life eventually become your life. becomes who you are we, I think, desperately need some time where we realize that it just doesn't pay to live on this endless cycle. And again, maybe your job is really demanding and you have no time to do this during the week, and I understand that might be true. But I hope that at some point in your week you're able to disconnect and unplug. The Jewish community has said that the Sabbath gives the universe the energy it needs to continue for another six days. There's a study done on animals at a zoo, and they found that if the animals were on display just endlessly, like, you know, every, every day they were put out there on display, Eventually, it resulted in some bad behaviors. Eventually, it affected the animals mentally. They found that it was better for the animals to be on for six days and then to have a day of rest. It's like they were built that way. It's like we all are. That we are built for a different kind of rhythm. That we aren't meant to just keep toiling and toiling and again your job might feel like that and it might be really difficult for you to do that but at least in your time at home I hope you'll recognize how you are contributing perhaps to the toil instead of putting a pause to it I think practically for a moment about your bedtime routine I mean you hopefully brush your teeth before bed most of you in here at least if you brush your teeth you're getting ready for bed Here's my bed. This is actually where I sleep sometimes. No, it's not. But you're you're getting ready, and you know, you're kind of calming down. Maybe you've had your warm milk for the night or whatever it is that you have uh, before you get ready for bed. And you're going to that calmer place, and you're hoping to kind of just, you know, veg out for a minute. And you just do... One last check, and you know, like, it doesn't hurt to look at a text message, um, and the average person uh, is in contact with uh, 22 people via text message, and I know some of you are way above average on that one, but uh, 22 people regularly, at least weekly, so, you know, you'll, you'll check your phone to check in on, like, hey, is anybody any, anybody messaging me? Uh, is anybody saying anything to me right now? You know, any of my, like, 22 closest friends, do you have anything to, to say as I'm getting ready uh, for bed, and then you might as well just pop over to social media. The average person is connected to 283 people on social media, whether that be Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, Twitter. You have these different notifications that'll draw you into there, and you know, you see that that guy in ninth grade biology you haven't talked to in 10 years, he liked your status, so that's, that's pretty cool, but then that comment that you put on your aunt's political post is like no not in a good place and uh that's yeah there we go now it's popping up um so you had had a this and you're just, uh, probably should just wait until the morning to to deal with that uh cuz i don't i don't even necessarily know where to begin to talk with with her on um social media and then you know i probably should uh hop over to Uh, check out the news. I think the news is next, right? No, ESPN. ESPN. Yeah, that one's better. Uh, So got to see if my favorite team, if they're winning or if they won and check out other stats and see how Lonzo Ball's debut went or how the Dodgers are doing in the World Series and whatever it is that you happen to be checking out. And then, like, I I might as well just check out the news, too. You know, uh, what's happening in the entire world? You know, like, let's just see, is there anything in the world that I should be concerned about? You know, whatever thing, like, is there anything, and whether whether you're uh, somebody who wants to look at Fox News or CNN, just go to the one that just uh, reinforces your own opinion, and then you just... um, We'll, we'll spend time um, look, looking, looking through that and spending time, okay, you know, what, what's going on in the world? And as you know, we're just, I'm just about to wind down. Let me just check my work email too, you know. Um, hey, work people, is there anything I can worry about right now? You know, is there anything that I should, you know, that project that I should be working on tomorrow, is there something that I should get to? And if you think about like, all the people that you've been connected with in this. And this is like thousands of people all over the world, and you wonder why you're then up at 2 a.m. And Ecclesiastes says it, right, that you would not live with this toil that would just keep you up at night. And this is part of our, our bedtime routine. And it's just what, what we do. It's like the air we breathe. And we think people are, are dumb for tearing teeth out of their mouth. And maybe they are. But we're dumb too. Because we're just in this system of connectedness that just never ends. And what would it look like for you as part of that routine? Maybe to say, you know what? My phone is going off at or or 9, whatever it is. I go to bed at 10, so at 9 o'clock I'm going to put my phone in the other room and you might use it to wake up in the morning, so just put it in a room that's close enough to you. Just realize that it's not going to help you to continue in this pattern. Because the internet never ends. Your emails never end. There's always another game. There's always something else that Donald Trump said. And there's always something. And we can just continue to to pile on and continue to let that stuff go on and we can just live in that system. And the Bible has a word for it. It's toil. If you really want a life that's worth living, recognize that slow and steady wins the race. And you don't need to be connected to everyone everywhere at every single moment if you really want to create a life that's worth meaning, you recognize something that is extremely significant. The most valuable gift that you can give to someone is your undivided attention. And that's to yourself and to other people. The most valuable gift is your undivided attention. How many people in your world get your undivided attention? How long per week do you give them your undivided attention. Rob Bell says this this way, central to creating a life worth living is understanding that you have more power over your time than you realize. We have more power over our time than we realize. Your job might be really difficult, and I get that. You might be working 60 hours a week and it's extremely difficult. Maybe you have to even stay connected to email when you get home. But what if you just put a cap and said, you know, after 8.30, my phone's done. I'm going to just take a break. And then you could do your little bedtime routine with the warm milk, and you'd probably sleep a lot better. Because it's not on you to care about everyone's opinion of you in the entire world or whatever is happening in the entire world. For you to create a life worth living, it involves you giving undivided attention to yourself and the people who are around you. Recognizing that this moment is a gift and doing our best to rid ourselves of toil. And again, your job might be really hard, it might be really toilsome and burdensome for you to do, and I'm sorry if that's the case but then why on earth would you come home and keep doing it? Why are you just continuing in that pattern? Recognize that you have way more power over your time than you think you do. It's a gift, and you should cherish it by giving your time and attention to the things that matter most. And in those moments, I think you create a world that you want to live in. You create a life that's worth living. So what rituals, what habits and routines could you start with? Maybe by turning something off before you get to bed at 8 p.m. or taking Saturday morning and just saying, no, we just for these four or five hours. I'm not going to be connected. I know it's going to be hard at first. It's not easy. It is becoming. It becomes habit-forming after a while. So to take a different step is difficult. But Scripture says it's worth it. And I believe it is too. You don't have to live this way. Several years ago, I took Facebook off my phone, and I have my Facebook password stored in one place, so I will use it for a specific thing if I need to sign on for just a minute to... Um, do something on there, I will. But I try to make disciples of this, that it's worth it, it's so much better uh, to live this way, to not live with this sense of connectivity around you all the time. And it was hard for me for a little bit to not be able to sign on right when I wanted to, but it's been so much better. What's something that maybe you could just say, I'm just going to not be on that so much, I'm not going to spend so much of my life there, Because the people around me, the life that I have that's right in front of me is way too important. You don't have to live this way. Let's pray. God, I pray over all of us that we would live less distracted lives. The greatest gift that we can give to make a life worth creating and a life that is worth living. Is our undivided attention. Whether that's to ourselves as we contemplate who you've called us to be, or whether that's to family members or friends who are close by, may we learn how to engage in such a way that we would show the people that are close to us that we deeply, deeply care about them, that we wouldn't let these distractions continue to get in our way. That we would avoid toil that we create on our own at all costs. Father, you've given us a high calling in our lives, and I pray that we would strive more and more to create and not consume, that we would live um, less and less distracted. I pray for all of us as we strive to do that. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.